Bibles this morning. We're going to pick back up in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. We, we were in Nehemiah a couple weeks ago. Last week we started there at chapter 2 and verse 10 where we'd left off two weeks ago. And we went backwards for 90 years. We backed up to where Zerubbabel began the return after the Babylonian Empire destroyed Jerusalem. And to, to see that the return's not just an accident. Even the destruction of Jerusalem, the city of God, the place of the children of God, is not just an accident. It was prophesied by God because of the sins of God's people. It happened for a reason. It happened for a purpose. God will always try to pull his people back y'all still turning in your bibles you didn't hear what i said god will always try to pull his people back they talked about it in a concert on friday night they sing that god miss karen peck i believe was singing that song that god is the god of second chances third chances fourth chances i can't count high enough to cover most lives like mine he's a god of many chances Many opportunities, and God is doing that here with the children of Israel. He's given them another opportunity, gave them opportunities to spare the destruction, and they didn't want to listen. They just kept going about their worldly ways. So you fall into destruction. But we started, we picked up at chapter 2 and verse 10, and we actually backed up 90 years so that we understand that Nehemiah is a prophecy fulfilled. The destruction a century ago was a prophecy fulfilled. The return into Jerusalem is a prophecy fulfilled, but it doesn't just happen at Nehemiah. It lands after 90 years of prayer. So I want to start back up at chapter 2 and verse 10 this morning, and I want to go forward for a few verses if we could. When Sambalite the Horonite and, and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. I rose in the night. And I had few, few men with me, some few men with me. So neither I told her any man what my God had put into my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. So he didn't carry equipment. He didn't carry gear. He just gets on this one donkey. He rides out. He went out by night in verse 13 by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, to the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that w was under me to pass. I went up in the night by the brook and I viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. The rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. I said unto them, You see the distress that we are in? And how Jerusalem lieth in waste, and the gates are, over, are burned with fire. Come. Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. Boy, there's something special about God's people turning back to God. There's something special about God's people turning away from sin and turning back to a life. There's something special about returning to, to the place where you were and, and looking to go beyond in the blessings of God. Then I told them, the hand of my God, which is good upon me, also the king's words that he had spoken unto me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I want to look for just a few minutes this morning. 
What does it take to build a wall? Father, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you, Lord, truly for grace unlimited, mercy without measure, forgiveness that has no boundaries, that that goes on and on for a love that loves us in spite of us and continually deals with us. Thank you for patience and long-suffering. Thank you, God, for using your people to do a work. I pray now, Father, would you move with these right here. These, your people, God, move among us and show us your will and your work. God, we come this morning to worship you, to, play, to praise you, and we, we pray, God, that, that everything we do be pleasing to you, God. That is our main, most important detail, that everything be pleasing to you. But God, I pray you'd give us guidance and vision and wisdom and direction. I pray, Lord, you, you would brighten our lights, God, that you would strengthen your word within us, that we might walk out of these doors to be usable vessels in your hand. We love you, God. You've been so good to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Nehemiah, he briefly mentions right here those who would oppose him, and he moves right on with the task. He, he mentions that the enemy, before he even gets to Jerusalem, he mentions that, that the enemy came up. Can, can I tell you that, that at any point in a ministry, at any point in life, at any point in your Christian life, at any point trying to reach a neighbor, at any point in trying to reach a community, at any point in trying to be a witness at school, at any point in trying to be a witness at work, no matter what you're doing for God, trying to live a, a life pleasing to Christ, the enemy will do everything he can to try and discourage you. The enemy will bring everything he can to put in the way to try and distract you and the enemy will do everything he can to try and cause you to fear before Nehemiah even gets to Jerusalem he's just on his way he's almost there and the enemy comes up to try and discourage him but Nehemiah is smart enough to know that everybody's not going to agree with what God gave you to do everybody's not going to line up and be a part of the vision that, that God puts in place he's smart enough to know that there are going to be those who are going to oppose the work but can i tell you that the squeaky wheel is always the one making the noise you can take all the wheels working in one accord in a perfect train and everything's going but there's got to be a squeaky wheel somewhere and it's always the one doing the nagging and so squeaky wheel shows up and he he's not discouraged by them he, he understands that there are going to be those who want to come and complain. He understands that there's one that want to come and, to be honest, they, they want to try to debate the work. They want to try to debate. All they know is he came to do good for God's people. That's all they know. They don't know his mission. They don't know his purpose. They just said they're mad because somebody's coming to do something good for God's people. He doesn't have time to debate with these people because the disgruntled are always going to be the disgruntled. He understands there's no reason in wasting valuable time discussing something with the disgruntled. If you're not going to agree, you're not going to agree. There's a, there's a shortage of time anyway. Anybody know that? I mean, it just keeps on slipping by. We don't have time to waste. If you're disgruntled, go be disgruntled. But if you're not, plug in, line up, sign up, and let's get to work. So he doesn't have time to, to spend a lot. He came to Jerusalem with a mission on his mind, and it says that he was there for three days. Now, I'm not sure what that three days is about. 
I didn't study it a lot. I'm going to leave that for you because I know some of you guys like to study. I'll just give you a couple little pieces because everybody's got opinions, right? There, there's opinions. Maybe he needed to rest. I mean, it's a three-day. It's a difficult journey, and I don't doubt that. I don't doubt he probably needed some rest, but I doubt very seriously he needed three days to rest, but I don't know. There's, there's the thought that he probably has friends and family in the region. Obviously, he does, being a Jew himself, and that he maybe wanted to visit with some and along with rest, and maybe... <laughs> Maybe that took three days all combined. There is the very real, very real probability that he needed some time to pray. Anybody say amen? Pretty sure he needed some time to pray. I mean, to be at the palace of Shushan and to get a vision, that, that's one thing. To, to plan a trip of this magnitude to come out and do it, that's one thing. To imagine taking these people and to go to Jerusalem to, to rebuild these walls, that's one thing. But to arrive at Jerusalem and the opposition meets you before you can even come in the gate, that's another thing. And I'm pretty sure that probably required some, some prayer time. Because see, God will give you visions. God will give you missions. God will even give us directions. But sometimes God's visions comes in steps sometimes God's mission comes in pieces you, you got to pray over something and get to that point till God moves you to the next point so so God gives us directions but but waiting on God is a vital part of obedience praying putting it in God's hand and waiting until you have an absolute from God. Waiting on God is all a vital part of obedience. So I really don't know what the three days is about because the Bible doesn't tell us. So I don't want to speculate on things there. But I, I do want to show you something else. <laughs> we backed up last week, as I said, 90 years to when Zerubbabel came and he came to the temple. His purpose was a political gathering to come and begin to kind of regather the people and we look at how we got to this point and then more than 10 years back when Ezra came and his purpose was to come and, and to rebuild the temple his purpose being a scribe and, and one of the priests was was for the purification of the people now here in our text we just saw that Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem and before he even got in the city opposition met him at the door right and then we see that he got in the city and he was there for three days before he did anything else. Not sure what it's about, but I'm pretty sure it's tied to Ezra chapter 8. Because in Ezra chapter 8, Ezra is on his way to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the place of worship, and to purify the people, God's people. And in Ezra chapter 8, verse 31 Ezra says that we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go unto Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of who? It's just like Nehemiah. He hasn't even gotten to the city. He's going there to do something for the benefit of God's people, for the purification of God's people, and before he even gets there, that, that God had to deliver him from the enemy. And it says that his hand delivered him from the enemy and such lay in wait by the way. So, so before even arriving at Jerusalem, we see the enemy just like with Nehemiah and in verse 32, we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days. So I'm not really sure what the three days is about. 
But I know one thing is significant. God doesn't waste motion. God, God doesn't waste time. Three days is a pretty big deal in the Word of God. Anybody agree with that? I mean, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And you study. Three days is a pretty big deal in the Word of God. The number three represents the resurrection, always in the Word of God. And Ezra was there to rebuild or to resurrect the temple, the place of worship for God's people. Nehemiah has come to rebuild, to resurrect the walls around the city of God. So I'm not really sure about the three days, but there's enough information right there. If you want to study the three days, God's probably got something pretty sweet to show you right there. I'm sure there's a pretty good study for those of you in there that, that like those kind of things. But after three days, he goes out to view the task. Verse number 12, arose at night, uh, I and, and some few men with me, neither told any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Now, it's one thing to hear about the walls and the destruction of the walls and the gate. It's another thing to see it. You know, we were all reminded this week as we honored those who lost their lives in that ridiculous, malicious, pointless attack on 9-11. And, and we honored those lives that were lost and affected by 9-11. And we saw the pictures again of the smoke billowing up and the twin towers on fire. And we saw the pictures of the aftermath of the, the steel beams of the buildings leaning in it. And, and you know, to have seen those things is, 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 is sad. To have seen those things in, in that day was, was heartbreaking and even some, some fearful times. And, and, and to look back brings back some emotions to see that the, the, those leaning steel beams with everything collapsed, that, that brings some emotions to the heart. I've, I didn't go and, and see that. I didn't go right after and see it while the debris was still there. I didn't go while the beams were still up. But some people did. Anybody here go and see that not long after the attack? Did anybody go see it? Anybody, anybody, anybody? I see people pointing. I can't see what it is on. You did. You did. I, here, here's what I'm, I'm curious. I'm pretty sure in my heart. Even though you saw everything on TV, even though you saw everything on the news, even so you, you, you saw the pictures aftermath, I would imagine when you got there and saw it firsthand, it was probably different, wasn't it? it was devastating. devastating. Heartbreaking. The smell was devastating. So, so actually being there and seeing it was quite a bit different than what we saw on TV. So, so see, that's what I'm thinking you've got with Nehemiah right here. Nehemiah didn't see the Babylonian Empire destroy it 100 years ago, a century back. He didn't see it on TV. He didn't see the smoke from the towers. He didn't see the gates being destroyed. He didn't see them when they tore down and destroyed the temple of God. And he's never seen a picture of it. Because they didn't have those back in that day. So you imagine he's seeing that for the first time. He's coming and, and laying his eyes on, on this destruction. So he goes out to, to view the damages in verse 13. and went out by night at the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well to the dung port. Viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. He found it to be exactly like what his brother told him back in chapter 1. It's exactly like what it described, but, but he's never seen it. So he went on to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. This mess is so bad. 
This pile of rubble is so heaped up and with vines growing and stuff, I'm sure I'm just imagining that over, over a century of stuff growing. I'm pretty sure there's things added to it, but it's so bad that, that a donkey can't even pass through it. And I went up by night by the brook. I viewed the wall, turned back, entered the gate of the valley, and so returned. The rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So up until now, Nehemiah hasn't told anybody anything. He's just gone out. He has this vision in his heart. He, ha he has this message in his heart. But he goes out and, and he views the work, and it says that he went out by the valley gate. Now, the gates around Jerusalem, I should have sent it to Dale and had you post a picture of how it laid out and a little narrow at the bottom and got all the gates. I should have had him sent and let you see that, but I need you to understand that, that the gates around Jerusalem are so much more than just entry points into the city. The gates around the walls of Jerusalem are a picture of a Christian's life. I need you to understand, there is nothing in the Old Testament that is not a prerequisite to the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is a forerunner to the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament, all of the sheep, the sacrifices, all that pointed to Christ. So everything in the Old Testament points to the New. The sheep gate, it speaks of the cross. The sheep, the Lamb of God, the perfect, the sheep was the sacrifice. The fish gate. It speaks of soul winning. One of the first things Jesus did was put together disciples when he began his ministry. And he said, I want to make you what? Fishers of men. So, so we, we have the fish gate speaks of soul winning. The, the old gate, it represents the old way of life, the old nature, the old flesh. Can anybody say old things have passed away? Behold, all things have become new in my life. Anybody say that? Anybody thankful of the old things, that the old is the old? And the new has become the new. So, so you have the picture of the old way of life, the valley gate there where Nehemiah passes through. That represents exactly that. It is the valleys of life. Anybody ever go through any valleys? Anybody understand some dark valleys? But yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's always there. There's valleys in life. That gate is the gate of suffering. It's called the valley gate. It's called the gate of suffering. Then you got the dung gate. Anybody want to take a shot in the dark what that one's about? Pretty good idea what the dung gate represents. So here's what it represents for the Christian's life. The dung gate speaks of the works of the flesh. Mm, yeah, there's still some stench in our lives. There's still some old rises up that just won't seem to go away. But, but the dung gate represents the works of the flesh. Then you got the fountain gate. That's where Nehemiah couldn't even pass through, right? We just saw it. He can't pass through because of the debris is so bad. The fountain gate speaks of the Holy Spirit. See, see, during this time, they are under such distress because of their broken relationship with God, which is because of their sin. This is a very important gate. It's close to the pool of Siloam. Y'all know the place of healing. Jesus talked about it, the lame man there. It led to the fountain of Gihon. It went to the path to the potter's field. It leads to the path to Bethlehem, to Hebron, to Gaza. It obviously goes to the king's pool. He mentioned it. So there's a lot of things about it, but the debris is so bad that he can't even pass through at this gate. Sin will always 
hinder your entry point into the throne room of God because it damages your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Nobody, thank you, two people heard what I said. Sin will always damage your, your entry point, your access into the throne room of God because it damages your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So he went back to the gate of sufferings. He re-entered re the city. Then you come around, you got the water gate that speaks of the word of God. The word of God is the living water. It is our source. The horse gate speaks of believers' warfare. Anybody know that we are in a spiritual warfare? Put on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness from high places. So, so we know all about this spiritual warfare. The east gate speaks of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful that he's coming back? The east gate is a reminder in the Christian's life. And then we have one of those words. <coughs> so I looked it up to try to get some pronunciations right. What was our other word? I don't forgot it now. Huh? Astonied. Astonied, yeah. So, so I, I, I tried to look up to get this right. So I listened to my Bible app prior to it. And so my Bible app, when it reads it, it pronounces it Mifcad. But when I pull out my Strong's Concordance, which I did before, and then I always work right, and you look at the breakdown of the word, it says it's pronounced Mifcad. But we're going to go with Mifcad. But here, here's, here's the deal. This isn't an English word translated over from a Hebrew word. This is its own word. The gate of this city, we won't call it Mifkad, but this gate has a name, and, and this name is very specific. It has a, a meaning, and, and here's the meaning of the word. Concrete, a designated spot. Now, understand, it can be a designated location, but it is a designated spot that cannot be changed. Everybody with me? It can be a designated location that cannot be changed. Or it can be a designated spot in time which cannot be changed. You know, no man knoweth the day, nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven. There's an appointed time when the king of kings is going to step out, call home the children of the living God. We're going to leave this place. There's a time appointed. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. And let me just plug in a freedom for you. It cannot be known. No man knoweth the day or the time. Isn't it amazing how many people are trying to figure that out? Why not focus on what matters? People are dying and going to hell. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Why waste time? See, that, that's what the devil does. Those are distractions. That does, doesn't matter. There's an appointed time, and, and this gate, Mifkab, points to the judgment seat of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. He's coming to get us. We're going to be taken out of this place, seven years of tribulation here on this earth, and we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but there will be the judgment seat of Christ. So everything about these gates is all about the life of Christ. It is a picture of, of our life to come. The walls themselves that are built around Jerusalem, they are for the protection of the people. They're to keep outsiders out and to keep insiders in. We, we looked at it last week. This prayer has been going on for the restoration of Jerusalem for 90 years. So has the opposition. The devil can hear you pray. I just got to go ahead and confess. There are some things that I pray under my breath for a reason. 
because he can't read my mind. And I don't need that slew foot good for nothing to know what I'm thinking. There, there are some things, you know, I've heard people talk about before, and somebody asked how to do it, and they'd go into detail about how great everything is, how good everything is, and, and it's like a week later, man, hell shows up at their doorstep, and the next two months of their life, everything come unglued. I said, yeah, you got to be careful what you say out loud. But because when the devil hears it, man, he starts wanting to do things to try to tear you down. But remember, he can only do what God allows, right? So, <clears throat> so we looked at how the prayer's been going on for 90 years, but, but so has the opposition. That, that is one complete generation. That's a reminder to me that there is no generation of God's people that doesn't go through opposition. There is no generation of God's people that does not face opposition all throughout our life, all throughout the ministry, everything that we do. But no generation is excused from the work. No generation is left out in the work of the Lord. So, so when we set out to do a work for the Lord, there, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be those that, that want to try to get in the way. There's going to be those that want to try to tear down and, and hamper. There's going to want to be those that come plug things in and put in a distraction. There's going to be those that want to come in and sow discouragement. The devil's going to put some inside the house and try to sow discord among the brethren, create division within the fellowship. We, we got to know that it's coming when we set out to do a work for the Lord. We should not be surprised by the opposition, but sometimes you're going to be surprised by who it is. It's not necessarily the, the opposition, but, but family, friends, you know, the ones you really thought you could count on, the ones you probably thought had your back or at least over in the corner praying for you. So, I've said it a lot of times. I even said it last week. Don't be surprised by or, or, or expect opposition and you won't be surprised when it comes. But I got to tell you, sometimes you're going to be surprised by who it is. You're going to be surprised by, by where it comes from. We, we expect it from the world. We expect the dark and dreary world to oppose the light. We, we expect those things. We're, we're told that in Scripture. 1 John 3, 13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. So, so we expect that. We're, we're not surprised that the world hates us and opposes the work, opposes Christian lifestyle. We're, we're not uh, opposed by any of that. But, but it's not just the world. James said, oh, if I could just get a hold of this unruly tongue. And today, it really, the tongue ain't the biggest issue because people have gotten a little bit quieter with their tongue because they can say a whole lot worse behind that little thing with their thumb and they don't have to look nobody in the eyes. So I don't know that the thumb hadn't replaced the tongue in some of our wickedness. Because people don't mind mouthing off to something they wouldn't necessarily say to your face, right? So if I could just do something with that old tongue. But, but, but there's a difference between hearing what the naysayers say and listening to what they say. See, when you begin to do a work, you begin to let God use your life. You begin to tell people about Christ. You begin to be a witness. You read your Bible through in the years we're doing right now together as a church. And you begin to put things in. People are going to have stuff to say. But there's a big difference between hearing what they say and, and listening. And see, that, that's, that's what we see. Hearing is when it comes into your ears and you hear it, but you act as though you didn't. That, that's what Nehemiah did. He heard what they had to say. He came in. Uh, Sambalot, Tobiah, they show up, but he just says, I went on to Jerusalem. 
But to listen to what they say, that, that is to hear it and to allow it to, to influence what you do. See, by definition, hearing is the process, function, or power of perceiving sound. Listening is paying attention to a message in order to hear it, understand it, and respond to it. See, we don't listen a lot to what we hear in the house of God, but we listen a lot to what's said out there in the world. We, we hear both, but we choose what, what we're going to listen to. You know, you heard the old saying, in one ear and out the other. You know, that's the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is going to go in one ear and out the other, but when you put it in and you catch it and you begin to perceive some things, that, that's listening to it. So, so I gave you there on your, on your whatever you've got, your bulletin, the little side-by-side -side chart, if, if you like, filling that stuff in. Hearing is passive, but listening is active. See, hearing is involuntary. You're going to hear. You're going to hear whatever goes on, whatever noise you hear. Well, if you can hear, if you like me, you don't hear much. But the things you do hear, you hear. And you don't decide to hear them. You just hear them. But listening is voluntary. Hearing requires no effort, but listening requires effort. Ladies, there you have it. I'm sorry, but that's probably why as men such bad listeners, it requires effort. And, and we just don't put effort in because it usually means it's probably going to give us something to do anyway. So anyway, I'm sorry. They went the Holy Spirit right out of the building. Hearing is, y'all ready? You got to write a little bit more on this one. I'm sorry, I, didn't have, I couldn't, couldn't even really give you room. But this is the physiological perception of sound. But listening is the intentional interpretation of the sound. See, we can't, we can't help but hear what the enemy says but we can choose whether or not we want to listen to it. We can choose whether or not we're going to let it affect what we do. That, that's why we have to focus on the Word of God. That's why we have to focus on the work that God gives us and, and not on the opposition. Keep our eyes on, on the mission and not on the distraction. Keep your eyes focused on the things of God and not on the things of the world. Keep, keep, if we stay focused on the work, then we won't get focused on the pile of debris. If you're focused on the work, you're mission-minded, and you stay to the point. But if you begin to look at the pile of debris, it becomes overwhelming. It begins to, to look impossible. So just because opposition comes doesn't mean that it has to have any victory in our lives. It just means that it's going to come. The, the best incentive that we can have is to always remember, if we're doing a work for the Lord, then it is the Lord's work. And nothing can stop the Lord. Nothing can prevail over God. I can do how many things through Christ? How many of those are scratched out that you can't do? And without me, you can do nothing but with him. So if we're doing the work of God, then there is absolutely nothing that can stop it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 was Pastor Charles Chapman's favorite verse. And you guys that have been here a long time, you, you know Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. If God put you there, God will accomplish it there. Does it mean the enemy's going to back off? No. But does it mean the enemy can't win? Yes. Does it mean opposition's going to cease from being against you? No. But does it mean that you can overpower opposition? Absolutely. I know I started this three weeks ago. I know we're praying in one accord right now. Judgment Journey 2024. 
That's what we're praying on. There's prayer groups right under the 24-hour prayer vigil for 1,008 hours from now until October 15th when we meet down here. And then we'll pray for one week to the 22nd. So you got 1,008 prayers and 1,008 hours. And you got groups meeting down here and praying. We're praying in one accord. Is this the direction? Is this what God wants us to do? Is this where God wants to spend our time and our money and our energy? But, but I'm not just referring to, to judgment journey here. I'm referring to us. I'm referring to us serving God. See, I don't know if we're going to do judgment journey or not. And I'm not going to know until you vote because I've handed that off. I said, God, these are your people. These are the people that are going to have to build a wall. This is the people that's going to have to work. So if you tell me something, I don't have to sell what you said. So you guys know I've given you prayer, I've given you time, and I have handed this off. God, show your people what you want us to do. So if we do judgment journey, praise God. If we don't do judgment journey, praise God. It makes no difference to me. I know one thing, we're going to do something. Because my prayer is that the answer is no, give us something. Something to reach this town with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something to make a difference in the lives of people. Something to change our surroundings one soul at a time. Something that will reach into a dark world and turn the lights on. Something that will reach into evil and put the power of God over it. Give us something to do. We don't want to sit on a pew on Sunday morning and be a bunch of hold down nothing. These pews ain't going to float off. Gravity works. We ain't never have one float out of here. It ain't our job to hold them down. It's our job to come in and get our backsides charged so we can go out and do a work for the glory of God. So it doesn't matter to me if it's judgment journey, okay, if it's not. I, I just want God to use us to build the walls. But here's what we have to remember at all times. No matter what we do, it's about people. It's not about the walls. It's not about the stuff. Everything is about people. Nehemiah, they don't build these walls for the city. They didn't build these walls to make the place look beautiful. They didn't build these walls to make it look different. They didn't build these walls to make themselves look important. They didn't build these walls to say, look what we did. Look at our little plaque. Look at how many people came. They didn't build it for themselves. They built it for the protection of the people. They built it because of people. Miles Monroe. He said, true leaders don't invest in buildings. Jesus never built a building. They invest in people. Why? Because success without a successor is failure. So your legacy should be not in buildings and programs and projects. Your legacy must be in people. So whatever God leads us to do, it must be about reaching people. It must be about changing lives. It must be about reaching in and offering help to the helpless, Hope to the hopeless, food to the hungry, love to the ones that feel unloved, and salvation to the ones that are lost. That's the ministry of the child of God. Freely you've been given, freely give. Everything is about people. Verse 17. I said, you see the distress that we're in? And how Jerusalem lieth waste and, and the gates thereof are... Or burn with fire. And then here it is. He, he gives them a commission. Not a watered down. Not, 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 not a, a fluffed up kind of soft side to make it sound easier, to make it sound convenient. Nehemiah says, come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God which is good upon me. 
Also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah never built a wall. Nehemiah encouraged people. People built the wall. Nehemiah didn't put this up. He didn't hang a gate. They did. The people did. Is that they come together in the strength. Nehemiah cast a vision and he put it in the hands of the people. Are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to do what it takes? Do you know how many man hours of manual labor is going to go into this? Are you willing to sacrifice your time and your strength and your energy? Are you willing to sacrifice maybe even your money? Are you willing to, to sacrifice your life into the vision? So the title of the message is, What Does It Take to Build a Wall? Here's your fill in the blanks. It takes a vision plus prayer. You got to know the plus prayer. Vision plus prayer plus organization plus hard work. That's what it took to build the walls. The walls are an impossible task. It, it, it can't be done in any reasonable amount of time, even if it can be done at all. That's the way it is to look at it. But if you divide the wall into sections and the number of people that worked on the section, it says that the wall was finished in 50 and two days. 52 days to accomplish the impossible. Now here's reality. If one group built one section and it took 52 days and that one group had to build the wall and you take those sections and add them together it takes over six years to build that wall because you had one group working what did it in 52 days is that everybody worked together so no matter what we do next year this year the rest of this year jesus may come back for next year i don't know I do know this, no matter what we do, we have to do it together. No matter what we do, it has to be us. We need to be together in the work of the Lord. That's what reading the Bible through in a year is about this year. We're doing something together. That's what the prayer groups are about. That, that's what the Bible studies are about. That, that, that's what, that, that we might become one, because we need to be involved in the decisions. We, we need to be involved in the works. This isn't a prayer. This isn't a staff prayer issue. This isn't a deacon's issue. This is a God's people challenge. See, we don't need to pray about it as a staff. And, and because prayer grows you closer to the Lord. We need to pray about it as a church because prayer grows you closer to the Lord. It also grows you closer together to the people that you're praying with. So what we need is strength and unity and, and direction from God. So I, I want everybody involved in it because I understand that everybody's involved in prayer and everybody's involved in the work. That's who gets the blessings. That's who God's going to use, and that's who God's going to store things up. So, so I want to see everybody. I want to see the windows of heaven open that God pours out blessings. There'll be not room enough to receive it. But there's some commandments attached to those things. And I want to see all of us involved. See, see, God has a place for us. But the first thing we got to do is work on us. There's been 90 years of prayer prior to Nehemiah getting there. There's been 10 years of preparation rebuilding the temple prior to Nehemiah getting there. Now that Nehemiah is there, there's some work 
that's got to begin. We just finished the the first of eight five-week studies on man church, teaching the men how to be disciples, to be disciples of Christ, to be the things that God, that that Jesus Christ has commissioned us to be. So ladies, you, you get the spot tonight. You start on the power of praying women, and you start praying tonight, and we need the power of that so you women can pray for your husbands because God knows we need it. But we're not taking the time off. We have a devotion that we're doing during that time. What's my devotion book? How to be a man. We've got a devotion book that we're doing together during the five weeks, actually six, counting the October thing, that we're not gathering on Sunday night while the ladies gather. But we're continuing to do something to try to continue to study and to see how does God shape us into a disciple. Does anybody in here... Does anybody in here feel like just in this year, are you different than you were when the year started? Have you grown closer to God? Are you closer than you were? But because if you haven't grown, we're doing something wrong. But our goal is to grow closer to God, to be used by God. And I want to see God use us for something. See, there's all this about when is Jesus coming back. It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't make a two cents when Jesus is coming back. If he comes back in the morning, praise God, we're out of here. But oh me for the ones that are left behind. So if we get 10 more years, praise God. In 10 years right here, but we got 10 years to reduce the number that's left behind. To add to the kingdom of God. So, so what matters isn't when Jesus will return. What matters is what will we be found doing when he returns. I don't want to be found sleeping. I don't want to be found doing nothing. I don't want God's church. You know what he said about the one that was given talents that hit it into the ground, right? And he didn't use it and he didn't even put it in the bank and get usury. He didn't draw interest on it. He took that one from him and he gave it to the one that already had others. I don't want to be the one that hit all the talent that God's given us right here. I want us to be one. We talked about it, Wendy and I, Robin, we all standing last night at the um, Joy Inside Tears um, there, there on the square. We were just talking about things said about prayer, a reminder of things that, that a praying people is a prepared people. A praying people is a prepared people because there is power in prayer. See, I, I, I want to know this morning. I think it was last week I told you. When, when you decide to declare war on hell, don't stop. Don't declare war and then stop praying. Don't, don't decide on be used for God and step out and go the extra mile and, and, and then back off when you're praying. To declare victory for heaven to declare that I want to reach the lost for Jesus Christ is to declare war on hell, and it is spiritual warfare. What I want to know, honestly, is how many of us are willing to go to war? How many of us are willing? Band, you guys come on. How, how many of us are willing to invest the time in the prayer, the time in the work, time and resources, whatever it takes. 
I want to serve God. I want God to use me right here in this church. I want, I want to be a part of a plan, part of a process. <laughs> a lot of times, I give the issue. I mean, I, I, I give the, the option. You can come and pray, or you can pray where you are, or you can kneel, you can sit in your seat. And it's true, it's not about the position of the body, it's about the position of the heart. But sometimes you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you just got to get out of your pew. So what I want to know this morning, if we're going to war, I want to know who's going with us. I want to know how many soldiers are going to be in this fight, how many people are going to be praying, and how many people are not going to quit, and how many people are not going to give up. So when we stand up, I'm going to ask you, if you're in and you're all in, I'm going to ask you to find a place at this altar, not in your seat, not in your pew, not upstairs, not in the balcony. You're going to have to move from up there to down here. You're going to have to move from where you are because I'll be honest, I, I want to know. If, I, if, if I'm going to war, <laughs> I want to know how many is there. I'm not, I'm not numbering the soldiers. I'm not numbering so that I can see how many we got. I'm, I'm asking how many will make a commitment to be in the fight. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you say, I'm all in, I'm all in. Whatever God gives us to do, I'm all in. I want you to fill the altars. If it fills the aisles, whatever it takes. If you're all in, come be all in. We're going to pray together. These guys are going to sing a song, and then we're going to come and pray together as a testimony. Say, God, here I am. I'm surrendering everything to be all in. Use me as you will. Use me as you will. Use my life. I'm going to be there in the work regardless of what we build. I'm going to be there in the ministry regardless of what we do. I just want to be all in. These guys are going to sing a song, and then I'm going to have somebody close us in prayer.